Good morning. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Philippians 4 and come to the conclusion of our, our, our time in this book. But as you're flipping there to, to Philippians 4, I, I came across something really interesting in the last couple of weeks. I was reading through a biography about Jonathan Edwards, who was a pastor, a theologian. He was involved in the First Great Awakening in colonial America, and the author of this book at the conclusion made a statement that struck me. The author of the biography said, the United States is the most religious of the Western nations and the most materialistic. That made me think, like, how do these two coexist? And then especially, how does that play out in the individual, like to, to, you know, as a person, how can you be so religious and yet so materialistic? How does that happen? And I hope to address some of that as we look at the conclusion of this letter that Paul wrote to a church that he loved in Philippi. So let's pray and then we'll read our text and we'll dive into things. Pray with me. Lord, you are good. And you are generous. And often we take advantage of that generosity. We act like it's not a big deal. And Lord, often there are times where we feel like we deserve that generosity and count it and even not as generous, but as payment. Look at what we have done, so reward us. Forgive us of that pride and help us as we were thinking, as we are singing, as we were praying that we would understand that we have a God who is glorious and worthy of all praise and honor. And, and when we consider all that he has done for us and continues to do for us and the, the hope that we have in store because of Christ, we would rejoice at the generosity of our God. And then that would help us to be a people marked by generosity. Be with us this morning, Lord, as we look at the words that you have for us that you gave to your apostle Paul. They were for that church, but they are just as relevant and just as important to us this morning as well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse 14, Paul writes these things. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, to have fellowship with me in my trouble, he writes. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my need once and again. Not that I was seeking the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from you Epaphroditus and the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You have to remember something happened here in this church at Philippi. Lives were dramatically transformed. They came, they received the gospel, came to know the Lord, and it changed their perspective. It changed their desires. It changed how they viewed everything that they had. And Paul is saying, you guys were so generous. Something actually happened, and I saw it not just in word but in deed out of gratitude, out of seeking to to glorify God, the Philippians became partners with Paul in the advancement of the gospel. That's what he's hinting at here. It's what he says in chapter one, verse five. Their faith wasn't just an intellectual assent. It wasn't also just some sort of spiritual enlightenment. It affected them. The Philippians' faith played out in real practical ways. Paul wasn't the only one who could utter the words of Philippians 3 verses 8 and 9. Take a look at what he says here. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the Lord, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul wrote those words and the Philippians could say amen to them. We met the Lord. He changed us. We look at everything else. Everything has lost its luster. It's lost its glory compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Today, as we look at this passage, I'm I'm going to kind of work backwards, kind of. So I want to start with verse 19 of chapter 4. I'll read it again just to refresh you. Paul writes, and my God will supply every need according to his riches and glory in Christ. Christian, we serve a generous God. And Paul isn't the only one who taught this. Paul isn't the only one who thought God is generous, that he is a a sovereign God who is giving. He is is free in what he gives. We have this in in a lot of other passages, and I'm going to remind you, buckle up today, because we're going to look at a lot of verses here this morning. And uh, if you don't have time to flip to it, don't worry, just write it down later. But if you do have a Bible, I want to encourage you to flip over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at Jesus' words here. Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 31 to 34. Jesus says these things. Matthew chapter 6, 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So Jesus himself is is almost echoing, or if you will, I guess it wouldn't be echoing. He's saying first, Paul is echoing because Paul comes after Jesus, right? 
Jesus is saying, if you seek Christ, seek the kingdom, all these things will be added to you. The psalmist write Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 34, 9, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Psalm 84, verse 11, says these words. For the Lord God is the sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Amen. Because the reality is we all have needs. And your needs will never meet the limit of the treasures and the gifts and the glory and the riches of God because he is infinite. What Paul writes in the Philippians echoes these words of the psalmist, echo the words of Jesus, but also Paul writes in in Romans chapter eight, if you, again, flip there, if not, just write it down, check it out later. But in Romans uh, chapter eight, one of my favorite passages, I'm not gonna read all of it because I got too much to say today. Uh, Romans eight, verse uh, 32 says these things. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with Christ, graciously give us all things? If you have Jesus, you already have all things, is what Paul's saying. But there's a, there's a hint, all things in what? In what regard? Paul gives a little bit of a hint of that here in Romans, verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And please feel free to continue to read the rest of the chapter. Our God is rich and generous. These riches that Paul is talking about here in Philippians 4, he says they are in glory and they are in Christ. What does he mean by that? In glory. I think what Paul is trying to hint at here by saying they're in glory is his way of describing these riches are so beautiful and they are of a quality that far exceeds anything man could make or muster in their own strength. There are resources Outside of you. you, you can't do it by yourself. You might say they're godlike. And then he says they are in Christ Jesus. These riches of God that are, that are generously given to provide for all of your needs are yours in Christ, which means, listen carefully here. If you're not a believer, if you haven't put your faith in Christ Jesus, you're outside of these riches. There's something keeping you away from them. Let me say this carefully. It's not God that's keeping them away from you. It's you. You're choosing not to receive these things because you're saying, I can do it myself. I'll figure it out. I don't need God. I don't want him. You're holding him away. You're keeping those things away. 
But to those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we know the truth of 2 Corinthians 1.20, where we read that for all the promises of God find their yes in him, meaning Christ, all the promises of God. I'm sure there's some of you here thinking, as we're starting to read through these things, you're already thinking, God hasn't met my needs. He hasn't supplied everything that I need. My family's dealing with some financial troubles right now. Or we just went to the doctor a couple weeks ago and and the results came back. The cancer has come back. Where is he meeting my needs? Or a man, after all of these years of trying, if he could just give me one good friend, is that too much for him to ask? Is he really that good? Is he really supplying all of our needs? Again, I want to encourage us here. To understand that the phrase, every need, must be read and must be interpreted within the context. If we just pull out verse 19 and say, my God will supply every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, we have the possibility of falling into the error of the prosperity gospel. We just pull out He's going to supply all my needs. I know who God is. He knows who I am. Lord, give me a yacht. Okay, I don't need a yacht. That's too much. But if you could give me a ski nautique, it's only, it's nothing. You're God of the universe. You have all treasures. Help me never to be sick again. Help everyone to think I am amazing and they want to be my friend. Sometimes here's the challenge with, with, with what we do here on Sundays because we can't, we can't preach through, well, we can preach through the whole Bible, but some of you guys want to go home someday. So I have to break it up into chunks. The context starting in the fourth verse of this chapter has all been about anxiety, has been about contentment, has been about trusting the Lord in all circumstances. So you can't disconnect this verse from what Paul has already said. He is pointing us to the Lord is our treasure. The Lord is the one we trust in. The Lord is the one we rejoice in. He, when we trust in him, he provides for us so that we can be content in all circumstances, whether we have plenty or whether we have want. I don't think that this verse means every physical need will be satisfied. Is there a part of that? I do. I do think God provides. In fact, just let you in a little bit about some of the things going on in the church here. Uh, one of our the staff members came up to me because her job is to get the quotes of certain things and all these other things. And she was thinking, here's how much something's going to cost. And she was praying, Lord, help me to be ready for where these prices might end up being when the estimates come in. And God's provision, one of those costs came in drastically less than what she was expecting it to be. I mean, it's still money, right? We still have to, to pay these people to, to do the work, but at the same time, God provided. And I think the, the, the primary or the, or the bigger emphasis here is not on the physical needs, right? It's, it's providing on a different need. 
I believe what Paul is trying to say here to that church is your vital need, the things you need most to follow Christ, to live for the glory of God in all things, those are the things that God will always meet. Those are the needs that God will always provide for. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's, it's, it's healing. Sometimes it's these things. But he will always pour out his riches and provide the needs so that you can follow after God in a way. So whether the, the results come back positive or negative, whether the, the bank account is you know, just, just hovering above zeros, Instead of you throwing up your fist saying, you're not a God who loves. He gives you his riches so that you can worship him even in that. The provision that Paul is talking about is already yours if you have Christ. Don't forget the words of Romans 8 that I read earlier. If he has already given you Christ, he's already given you everything. Christian, you could read these words and you can walk away thinking God's not good. He hasn't met my needs. He's not generous. He's he's withholding from me because you're looking just at the things of this earth. We serve a generous God. Christ came to die and atone for your sins, your sins. Why? Why? So that you might have God again. He has provided a way for victory over sin and death. He has provided a way so that we unrighteous ones could be counted as righteous and be called sons and daughters. He has provided in so many generous ways. Have you ever stopped and pondered what God has already given to you in Christ? And after thinking on it, you think, whoa, he is generous. You can't read Romans 8 and walk away thinking, God is a selfish, stingy, cheap God. He's generous. The Philippians saw the generosity of God in reconciling them back to himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and it changed their lives. They, 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 they received a treasure in salvation, and they, they used the things that God had given them, the material things, to give back in generous ways. The church at Philippi was changed by the generosity of the Lord and it affected their life, even in their material wealth. Look what Paul says here in verses 15 and 16 of Philippians 4. He says, you, Philippians yourself, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, and there, I think what he's talking about in the beginning is not like when Jesus was born, but I think what he's talking about there is when the gospel first came to you. I think he's echoing back to what he said when the gospel first came to you, first chapter of this this letter, In the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help in my need once and again. When Paul was sent away by the city of Philippi, the first city he goes to after that is Thessalonica. And they already, the young church, this fledgling church already is saying, we need to support him in the gospel advancement in that city. And they send money to him. 
It's amazing. It didn't take them 40 years of following the Lord to be generous. Within a short time span, they become so generous. And and it cracks me up. I, I love this. Look at what Paul writes. If, again, flip over to 2 Corinthians. Look what Paul writes. Yeah, it's a lot of flipping for me too, so don't worry if it takes you forever to, to get there. Look what Paul writes to the Corinthian church talking about the Philippians, talking about the, the church of Macedonia. In, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is writing to this Corinthian church. The Corinthians were considered a wealthy church. They were, they were affluent And Paul says this, we want you to know, brothers, talking to the Corinthians, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, remember, rejoice, 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 their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflown in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. To put this in, 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 I don't know, in in the Kurt version of, of the Bible, Paul's saying, These people didn't have a lot and they gave and then they gave until it hurt. In fact, they were just like, are are you going to go bring the message of the gospel here? Just take my money. Go. We want to see what God is going to do because he is so glorious. He has affected us so much. We want other people to know this joy. Whatever we can do, we're going to send our best person. We're going to send money. We're going to send aid. We want this to go forward. Why would they do this? We get a hint of this in verses 7, excuse me, 17 and 18 of Philippians 4. Paul writes, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. I've received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. It's a fragrant offering, a a sacrifice acceptable. It's, It's pleasing to God. Church, generosity is pleasing and it's profitable. We... We're in a church, and, and, I, and it's right that we do this. We want to protect people from thinking, if you do certain things, you can earn your salvation. We want to protect people from thinking, you can somehow merit through work heaven, right? Like you, you, you gain it as a wage. And, and it's right that we protect from that, but, but we need to be careful that we don't emphasize that so much that it's to the detriment of the reality that scripture actually says you can please God. It's, it's in a lot of the Bible. We are justified by faith in Christ. We are declared righteous by Christ's finished work. But you can do things that please and honor the Lord. 
Paul tells the Philippians that your gift, your generosity to me, you entering into partnership for the sake of the gospel advancement is a fragrant offering. It's a sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. The only other time fragrant offering is used in the scriptures, in the New Testament scriptures, is by Paul. And he uses it only one other time in Ephesians 5.2. And he's not talking about people. He's talking about the generous love of Jesus towards us. Our generosity, our giving is a sweet smelling fragrance like Christ's generous love to us. It pleases God. Not earn salvation. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, that he makes it his aim to please God. Galatians. I'm just, I'm, I'm throwing these verses out so that you don't think that I'm kind of going off the deep end here saying that you can do things that please God. Galatians 1, 10 says, for I am, excuse me, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. What he's trying to emphasize here is, as a servant of Christ, I try to please my master. Flip a couple pages over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. First Timothy uh, chapter three, verses one through three. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, that is a desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all diligence. Why? Because these are examples. These are things that are pleasing to God. Earlier in, in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy Paul writes these things. First of all, I urge you that supplication, prayer, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position. I just want a little side note here. I don't care if you like the person who's in the Oval Office or in the governor's mansion. You're called to pray for him. Why? Keep reading. For all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. I have too many verses, so write down First uh, Hebrews 3.16 is another verse. I do also want to remind all of us again of the reality is that you can only please God if you have faith, because we are told in Hebrews 11.6 that without faith it's impossible to please God. Paul writes to the Philippians that your generosity pleases God. Paul then earlier in, in, in verse 17, he says this. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul is saying in your generosity, you are doing something that is for your good. Was he? 
Was he seeking the gift? No, that doesn't mean he wasn't thankful for it. What he was seeking is fruit. He was seeking the Philippians to produce a fruit that would accrue interest in their account. Christ died that we might bear fruit, Paul writes, Romans 7, 4. Beloved, one of those fruits is generosity. When you look at your life, do you see it generously? Do you see generosity flowing out of your life? Again, listen to these words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says these words, verse 19. Helps if I'm in the right chapter. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Be generous with your gifts. Be generous with your talents. Be generous with your time. And specifically from Philippians 4, be generous with your money. It's a fragrant offering pleasing to the Lord. You might ask, well, how is this a credit to our account? Because it reveals where your hope is found. If you are giving something that the world says you need, what you are declaring to yourself in the world, I have something better than this. And that strengthens your faith. When you're willing to to spend and and be spent for the sake of the gospel and sake for the, the kingdom to advance in the lives of people, what you're saying is there's something far greater than the things of this earth. And it reminds you, it sets your hope. I'm looking forward to that day when the fullness of the kingdom is ushered in, when that king comes in all his glory. That strengthens us. It's really hard to say, I trust in the riches of God, that he is trustworthy, that that he has promised to go with me, before me, and beside me, that he has promised to give me all of these things when really I'm showing that my hope and faith is in the things that I can get here and now. So I'm holding, I'm clinging, I'm hoarding. Generosity pleases God and it's profitable to your own spiritual well-being. If this profit is to be found in our generosity, and if generosity is a fruit, shouldn't we examine our fruits? Beloved, do you examine the fruit of your life? Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17 to 20, he says this, So a healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Look, I I realize there's more fruit, and I don't have enough time to talk about all the fruit that's, that's there. But one of the fruits of righteousness, of putting your hope in Christ, is being generous. Where is our generosity? Peter actually writes in his second epistle that manifesting fruit functions to confirm your calling, your faith, and also functions to confirm that you are actually saved, that you are elect. 
Let me reiterate again, fruit is not the grounds of your salvation, it's the manifestation that comes from the salvation that's already yours. After speaking about his provision, excuse me, God's provision, that God knows all your needs, he's gonna provide all of these things, Jesus says, that God is going to meet you. He starts talking about finances. Look at what Jesus says at the very end of of Luke uh, chapter 12, I think it is, excuse me. Luke chapter 12, I just wanna look at verse uh, 34. After you know, echoing what we read in Matthew, wherever you store your treasures, right? He says this, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Does the gospel have your heart? Does Christ have your heart? Does God have your heart? Because when God has your heart, he has your finances. Because he has everything else. Because your heart will sing for that. For God. We hoard, we withhold, we grasp and hold tight to things because the gospel doesn't truly have our heart. We believe something else is superior. We believe something else is better. We delight in something else. Once you realize what you have when you have Christ, your fingers start to loosen. Being generous We want to support the gospel. We want to support ministry. We want to support where God is advancing and moving in the lives of people. We don't want to be stingy with our gifts because we don't don't serve a stingy God. We hoard and we, we withhold because we don't believe God will actually supply our needs. According to the infinite glorious riches, we struggle to give up. Brother, sister, consider where you struggle with generosity. That probably will reveal the idol that you really worship. Consider where you struggle being generous, and then I would encourage you, go to the Bible and find the scripture that speaks to that idol that you're hoarding and the false promise that it is saying to you. To live with open hands comes only when we receive the true treasure of salvation in Christ Jesus. A generous people are enthralled with Christ. They desire to to please the Lord and they want to emulate him. He did not hold back his beloved. I don't want to hold back my material wealth for the glory of God. I pray that our lives would not be marked as religious and materialistic. I pray that our lives would be marked as godly and generous. When you examine your life, do you see generosity being produced in it? How do you spend your, your wealth? Have you ever taken a moment to pause and say, how can I use this for the glory of God? Because that pleases God. How are you using the wealth 
But according to James, every good thing comes from the Father. None of it's yours. As Christians, we're just stewards. How can we steward those things in a way that, that, that others would look and they would say like Paul, it's, it's an account. It's accruing credit for you. It's, it's a blessing. It's, it's growing your faith. It's, it's, it's also showing your partnership with the gospel because it's going forth. May we be godly and generous. Let us not be religious and materialistic. Why? Because it pleases God and it's for your own good. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us when we have through so many means declared that there is something more glorious, there's a greater treasure, there's some better news to be found somewhere outside of the gospel of Christ Jesus. There's some greater hope to be had in hoarding or, or pursuing things of this earth than having you. Lord, I, I pray that we would remember that the angels of heaven never celebrate in awe when we buy a new car. The angels in heaven never celebrate when we upgrade to a bigger home or go on an exotic trip to some far off destination. But the heavens thunder with joy when a single soul is saved. I pray that that would be our delight. And that as we find joy in others coming to see the gospel, that, that we would want to be generous because we serve a generous God. We would want to use all the things that you've graciously given us, Lord, so that your glory would be declared forever and ever. That others would come to know you. That others would be built up in you. Lord, we want to please you. Help us to have the heart of the Philippians. That even in little, they, they saw what they could give. Lord, help us to understand there's not a greater thing to obtain than to have Christ. And if we have him, we already have everything. Help us to look at the things we have differently through the lens of the gospel. Lord, as we grow in generosity, our faith will grow. As we grow in generosity, our hearts will sing more of the provision of the Lord because we will trust more in you. As we grow in generosity, may others see the king through the sacrifice of all the treasures we have for the glory of the kingdom to come. Let us be eager givers, trusting that you know our needs and that you have promised to meet us in them according to your riches and glory. And we do it knowing you are about your glory and your fame being made known. We pray this in Jesus' name, our true treasure and hope. Amen. Amen. I want to read from John 6, 
starting in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread for heaven, from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The Lord will provide because he is all we need as the bread of life. So let's stand and sing and solidify these truths in our hearts this morning. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, men on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know everything I need you've got. There's honey in the rock.
brief uh, announcements here before you go out. One is if, if you want to pray or have someone pray with you or you have some questions about some of the things that we talked about this morning, pastors, elders, some of the, the care leaders will be up front here uh, following the benediction and you're welcome to come forward to do that, talk with them, to pray with them. Also, uh, we are having a baptism class on September 17th. If you want to just know what is baptism or you, you, you've heard about it, you're not sure what it is, even if you feel like maybe I'm not ready, I just, I just want to know more, I would encourage you to go check out that class. It would be a great time to, to understand what baptism is, why we do it, what's it for, what's it show. Um, so that's on September 17th. And then it's that time of the year. If you're sitting in this section, you have the privilege of serving today by stacking chairs after we're done here this morning. So congratulations, guys. Awesome job. Um, let me send you out with these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So let me say here, if you feel like I was trying to beat you down here, I'm sorry. It wasn't my point. God loves a cheerful giver. And I think as you are giving cheerfully, you will see generosity continue to grow in your life. But he goes on, he says this, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all time, you may abound in every good work. Let's be a generous people abounding in every good work. Have a blessed week, church.